folks, welcome back to Olive Leaf Podcasts with me, Olive. This week we're going to be talking about Norse mythology, and this is part two. And we're going to be talking about some women of the legends that I didn't get to talk about last week, because we need to talk about women more. first time joining me here. Hello, welcome. Come into my little hobbit hole and get ready to listen to some history. Um, But if you would like to listen to Norse Mythology Part 1, it might set the scene a little bit more. So the episode should be down below and I talk about some of the key players of Norse myth, like Odin and Thor, you know who I mean. Um, But this week we're moving on a little bit and talking about some of the women, including Freya, who's just my fave, And probably some other women I can't really pronounce their names of. So, as usual, disclaimer, I'm very English-speaking. I unfortunately don't know any other languages. I am currently trying to learn Latin. Um, That's not going to help me at all in this episode, but uh, please forgive me. Please don't judge me. Please don't hate me. I'm trying. But also, don't use me as a guide on how to say these. Um, Listen to Neil Gaiman maybe doing an audiobook, because... He's probably much more educated than I am. Uh, Speaking of Neil Gaiman, he is what I am basing this podcast on, his um, book, Norse Mythology, and I thoroughly recommend it if anybody finds this interesting. Check it out. It's really easy to read and gives you lots of little short stories about Norse mythology and all of the capers that they... Does anyone say capers anymore? Meaning like fun stuff? No, I'm, I'm 86 apparently. I feel like I should give a little bit of a background um, to me, really, at the moment, because things have changed since my last podcast, and I apologise for how long it has taken me to make this next one. It has been very busy. So I've just started my PhD, I'm studying in my first year for it now, and I'll be studying magical women, um, and I will be touching on some Norse mythology. So I I do know what I'm talking about, I promise. Uh, I just don't know how to say the words because I've only ever read them. So give me a couple years and I'll be, I'll just redo all of these with excellent pronunciation. But that's why I'm learning Latin and next year I'm going to be giving Old English a little, well, a feeble attempt at learning it. So who knows, I might do some podcasts on trying to learn those languages if you're interested. If you are, drop me a comment or a message somehow or somewhere in the ether and I will do those because... It's comical, quite frankly, my attempts. I'm not a linguist. I like reading books. I like writing books. I don't like translating books very much. So I'm going to have to try and learn these new skills. So that's why you should need to bear with me, because one day I'll be better. I promise. I'm trying. And on a philosophical, yep, philosophical level, what's the point of anything if you don't try? So, (laughs) I need that on a t-shirt. I'm trying. Be nice. So, disclaimers all out the way. You can't be annoyed at me now. It's illegal. So, part of my research, I've actually been looking a little bit at Freya specifically. um, In a poem called The Voluspa, which has been translated to mean the prophecy of the seeress, or the divinations of the witch, that kind of thing. Originally, obviously, written in Old Norse. And it was the first poem of the poetic Edda, and it was broken down into lots of different stanzas. 
and was basically a poem describing the fates of some of the gods, some prophecies, um, lots of bits about Freya specifically, and was kind of narrated by a magical wise woman or potentially Freya herself. There are lots of different contrasting theories as to who is actually narrating this poem. There's a first person and then there's reference to she. Are they actually the same person? Is it both Freya in different phases after she was reborn? I'll go into that in more detail in a bit. Or was it actually a vulva? Now please don't laugh when I'm saying that. I'm trying my hardest and it does sound slightly euphemistic, but it does not mean that. Get your minds out of the gutter and into history, please. Avulva was an Old Norse witch, or seeress more precisely, um, very linked with divination, and the three Norns that I mentioned living in the well of Urd, um, or Uth, I'm not sure how you say it, um, living under there, prophesizing, kind of basically seeing the fate of the world, they were kind of the key vulva type figures so these women would have practiced seitha which is a kind of magic shamanistic in its own right um, there's lots of books about how norse magic and norse religion is very linked with shamanism geographical links all this kind of stuff very interesting i'm not going to go into that now because not going to go into that if you say that it kind of feels like a tongue twister try it um i'm not going to go into it now because i'll get bogged down with stuff that isn't particularly Norse mythology. And I did that last episode, and I started talking about Papua New Guinea. So I've learned my mistakes, and I will not do them again. But if you would like me to explain more, let me know. The reason Sather kind of gets these connotations is because the woman, and it is predominantly women, there are a few cases of men who practice this kind of magic, but there's always kind of negative connotations surrounding it or a loss of status in society, um, which leads to a whole host of other problems. So on the most part, 95% are women. Odin is the key example of a man who knows this kind of magic, and he only knows this because of Freya. And I'll get into that when I talk about Freya. How have I still not even got into the mythology yet? I don't understand how I do this. I waffle. The point is, this poem about Freya um, is potentially narrated by one of these vulva, and they are very linked with Freya because she taught them the magic that she practiced, and these women practiced it on Earth. So they were the mortal, almost representations of Freya's magic. And it was a genuine profession, profession, and there was a vulva that would travel around Maybe there was one residential in each town, or maybe they were travelling women who would go to each town and for payment, or for bed and board, or for jewellery, or for anything of value, they would prophesize your future, they would help you find your path, and if you needed to change it, they'd kind of give you the knowledge of how to do so. So they were really revered, but they were also feared, because they could tell you if you weren't going to do very well, or if you're going to die tomorrow. So they held a lot of power in their own right. And in this poem, the Voluspa, even Odin himself goes to probably Freya in this case, but potentially just a vulva. And he offers her jewels and he offers her jewelry to help him find out what is going to happen to him. So even the gods would have revered this kind of level of magic. And the poem dates to around the 10th century, which is an interesting period because it's still very pagan, but Christianity is sweeping the Western world. So there are elements of at least understanding of Christianity, even though they're not necessarily practicing it themselves. 
and the Viking culture itself stayed pagan long after England, for example. So the Anglo-Saxons, who I also love, um, they converted to Christianity quite early compared to the Viking um, culture. And for the most part, it was kings and the royals converting first. And I mean, for a lot of the time, they were actually just saying they'd converted kind of converting, being baptised, but actually just still living very pagan lives and having very pagan burials. So it didn't seem to affect them too much in the day-to-day basis. And Christianity and pagan beliefs went hand in hand. They merged all together and it was quite nice. All cosy and snuggly and nobody hates each other. And it was only later on that things got a lot more separate and a lot more condemned. If you were pagan, no, it was a no-go area. But with the Vikings... They stayed pagan a lot longer, so they had a lot more magic intrinsically linked within their society compared to lots of other places in the Western world where witch crazes and all of this kind of stuff starts to appear. So that wasn't happening. So this is why Norse mythology is so beautifully magical, I think, and how it's captured the essence of a society that we don't necessarily see elsewhere at that period. What a long-winded explanation. If you're still with me, hi, well done. You've done good. Back to the whole point that I brought this up, Freya. So she is one of the Vanir goddesses. So we have the Aesir and we have the Vanir. Aesir includes Odin and Thor and all those big boys. And the Vanir were kind of more nature-minded or I feel more peaceful. I feel like I like them. I feel like I would have been one. I'm so egotistical thinking I'm a god. But you know what I mean? That's my bag. I feel like the Aesir are more the popular jock kids and then the Vanir are like the art kids, the arty ones, or the, th- or the drama and theatre kids. Um, I'm probably going to get hundreds of people being like, you're so wrong! But that's my opinion, sorry. But anyway, she was one of these, and the Aesir and the Vanir were, were originally quite separate. Uh, later on, Odin and Freya married, and they had kids, and wasn't necessarily like a happy, lovely life, as with most gods People like Odin had lots of other affairs. It's like a Zeus tradition. They didn't sleep with any swans, though. Does Zeus sleep with a swan? Is it a horse? It's probably both. Anyway, the poem says that a woman called Gulvigur, who then takes the name Hather, which means bright or illuminated, who is then later called Freya, so she is burned three times and three times she's reborn and she was called the Bright One, and she became the well-divining witch. And she could cast spells and do Sather, and she was always loved by lots of different women because of the magic she had. And this is this is Freya. So whether she was burned as a punishment by the Aesir, or whether it was kind of some sort of initiation, or even just to prove that she was a master over death, not sure your um, explanation is as good as mine, really, but... Proves how strong and powerful she was and proves how magical she was. And she then, the reason she's loved by the women is because she took her magic to mortals and taught it to the vulva and the gods sorely missed her because she was gone and then everything went all bad without her so then they got back together and everything was happy and blah, blah, blah. So endeth the story. No, it doesn't. Um, But that's just the background of like the actual, some historical poetry specifically about Freya. So we've got these Norse myths. It's not just made up and used in Marvel films. This is 10th century literature, probably much older um, and just written down in the 10th century. 
I think it is useful at this point to give a little bit of contextual history. During the period of the Viking era, this is, I'm talking about kind of Denmark, Scandinavia, the Vikings obviously were also in Britain, and post-Roman is when we get the period that people call the Dark Ages. And it's kind of a, a popular culture kind of buzzword really to describe this period and it's basically called the dark ages because after the romans it seemed like there was an era where there was not much happening um which is not the case but there's very little written evidence and it's a lot harder to see things in the archaeological record and in the literary records of what was going on whereas when we had the romans there was lots of different correspondences between different generals and the empire and we've got a lot more of a history whereas when the romans leave britain before the anglo-saxons and even during the anglo-saxon period actually it's still technically the dark ages because we just don't have as much evidence so the 10th century is when it kind of starts to change the 10th century is the 900 ad that's how the centuries work confusing why couldn't it just be 9th century means 900s but it doesn't so this is the era when we start getting a lot more literary records and specifically things like the poetic edda becomes a valuable resource and is usually based on earlier traditions but we just can't necessarily prove that because we haven't got the earlier evidence it's the same with the whole arthurian legend and all of these different conspiracy theories of when and where and who and what and how so you just have to take it all with a little bit of a pinch of salt of yes it might be the 10th century history but it could be earlier at least we know it's not necessarily later because you can't write it. It's not some timey-wimey Doctor Who stuff. So it's just worth bearing that in mind when thinking and talking about Norse history as a whole, particularly with regards to the mythology. We also have to pay attention to the fact that, yes, we've got Odin, yes, we've got Thor, yes, we've got Freya in these poems, but this doesn't mean that this was the depiction that people worshipped. So it's quite a complicated concept in its own right. So bear with me, but it's very important to notice. So in Norse and lots of other traditions of this period, storytelling, especially sagas and stories about the gods, were so important. They were really key to culture and society and the transferal of ideas and entertainment and everything like that. So it was known that the gods and goddesses and heroic figures in these stories were not necessarily the true representations of these gods and goddesses. So you could worship Odin and you could have your theology about Odin and you could know the religious connotations and you could know that figure. But then if you read about Odin or you hear a story about Odin, you know that that's a literary concept and it's not necessarily the same person as the god that you worship. So in that way, no one's committing blasphemy, no one's being disrespectful, because it was acknowledged that, yes, these stories are fun and they're sometimes a bit ridiculous, but that does not mean that Odin does not still exist and is a god that you worship. So given that, there are other gods, for example, Loki, who we don't really have as much evidence that he was worshipped, so we don't see his name reflected in place names or in geographical locations, and it seems like because he's very much a catalyst of being the mischievous one and pushing the story forward and kind of being the thing that gets things moving in different tales, um, 
he could have actually just been a literary technique in some way that he could have been either based on other gods that were genuinely worshipped. He could have been a god that was genuinely worshipped, but just of a smaller section of society. The same way that um, Greek gods and goddesses and Roman gods and goddesses had their own kind of cults surrounding like Diana or, or Bacchus, that kind of thing where, yes, he believed in all of the gods and goddesses, but you specifically worshipped one and you stuck by their teachings. So potentially Loki was a lower key... <laughs> pun not intended um he was a lower key god that was worshipped but just in smaller by smaller sections of society or basically we don't know but in this way that we have to take it with a pinch of salt that what these gods and goddesses did was not necessarily what was believed in the theology of the culture it would be kind of like if somebody wrote a romance fiction about jesus but it wasn't considered blasphemous, it was considered entertaining and still had some of the values that the Christian church would encourage, but also had a lot of fun and a lot of magic and a lot of other bits and bobs, um, but would have been very much a separate entity from religion. Obviously, that's probably never happened, but in this kind of period, it was a lot more chill. So at last, on to Freya. She's famous for her beauty. Um, she's classically the goddess of fertility and love. I mean, what female goddess isn't? I mean, you can't really get a male goddess, so what female god isn't or what goddess isn't? It's like saying a woman doctor. That's just not necessary. Anyway, that's a whole different subject that bothers me. Let's not go down that route. She's She may be these stereotypical female roles, but she's also really cool so as i've mentioned extensively she's really magical she basically founded a whole section of magic um and taught it to women specifically only women excluding odin which is rad but she's also the goddess of death or an underworld but this is different to hell now very briefly hell was half woman half i don't know zombie like person looking um, and she was the daughter of Loki and he had three different children with a giantess and one of these included Jormungandr another was Fenrir the giant wolf both of them had a very key part to play in the end of the world at Ragnarok and then finally was Hel and she was the ruler of Hel's own realm really in the underworld so the underworld was almost like a big plane in its own self so imagine just a big meadow I mean a meadow is far too nice for Hel but let's just imagine a big meadow and then in that massive meadow is a stately home and surrounding that stately home is its own little garden so all of that is included in the underworld but specifically that stately home and garden was ruled by Hel and only select people would have gone and lived with her and the rest of the poor souls would just frolic in the meadow. I make it sound lovely. But she was the queen of hell in some ways. But Freya herself was also a goddess of death and the underworld. And she even chose some warriors who were slain in battle um, to dwell in her realm. So she got the pick of the best ones. I'd pick all of the ones... That could play different musical instruments and I would create a rock band from hell. But I don't know what she did. Despite that, she also had other cool stuff like she owned a 
cloak made of feathers. I don't know if it was like a falcon or some sort of cool bird of prey. And it gave you the ability to fly. And people like Loki borrowed it. Well, I mean, had to ask really nicely. And then she would lend it out very sporadically, only in emergencies. But it gave you the power of flight, which is really impressive. It's not clear, though, whether she just puts in this cloak and then can fly as a human or if she turns into a bird. I really hope it's the latter because that would just be my dream, really. Now, I mentioned that Freya was married to Odin, but in some stories it's Frigg, or Frigg, who is married to Odin. And in some different cases, Frigg and Freya are the same person, and others they seem somewhat different. So, as with everything I've already mentioned, you kind of have to just take it with a pinch of salt and just accept these abnormalities. I think that they were the same person with just different names because already, as we can see, when she was burned and then reborn, she had already got three names by this point. So they did seem to have lots of different names or epithets attributed to them, especially because Norse gods were really fond of disguising themselves and going off on little adventures and pretending not to be who, who they actually were because then their plans would be foiled. But if you see literature or any reference to Odin's wife being freak, just accept that there's controversy over it and you're aware of it and then you can move on and have a happy life. As well as having her really cool cloak, she also had a really famous necklace called the Brissings. And what I get from it is it's basically a crystal with all the northern lights trapped in it. It sounds that amazing and that beautiful, but it's magical and it was made for her by the dwarfs. And if you listen to my Norse mythology part one, you will see that dwarfs can make literally anything. So it would have been pretty impressive. And she also had two cats that pulled her chariot. Just generally female goals. And there's this one tale in the mythology that Neil Gaiman specifically describes as Freya's unusual wedding. That's his chapter title. And it is unusual because she doesn't really get married. But she kind of does, but doesn't. She doesn't get married. Anyway, these things all come into play, particularly her feathery cloak. The gist of the tale is Thor wakes up one morning and realises Mjolnir is not next to him. He doesn't know where his hammer's gone. Freaks out, because that's a nightmare, and then goes to Loki. I, I just don't know why he goes to Loki. Who, who would? But anyway, he does and says, like, buddy, I've lost it. What am I supposed to do? And Loki's like, oh, you're like, you have one job, Thor. Keep the hammer safe. But the thing is, the hammer is supposed to, as soon as you call it, come back. It's supposed to always come back to Thor, no matter how far away he throws it, no matter what it hits. So to be fair to him, he could have got a bit complacent, and that's fair enough. I would have as well. But basically, the two guys go to Freya, because she will help them solve their problems by lending the cloak. Freya instantly says, no, <laughs> like, why would I? You're horrible person Loki you're just going to cause chaos I don't want to give it to you and then as soon as Loki's like yeah but Thor's hammer's been stolen so please she's like all right take it but bring it back um so he takes it he flies he goes around across Asgard he flies into the realm of the giants and beneath him he sees a giant mound of I think it's a grave and on it sits a really hideous ogre he's just chilling so Loki flies down to him and the ogre's like, what are you doing here, buddy? This is not where you live. Go away. And Loki's like, well, I mean, I've lost Thor's hammer. Well, I haven't. He has, the big dunce. Can you tell me anything about it? And the ogre's like, oh yeah, like I've got it. 
lol. <laughs> You're never going to get it back. So sucks to be you. And Loki's like, no, hang on. You cut that. That's not fair. What do you want? What can I, how do I get it back? And the ogre's like, right, fine. Well, I'll give it back to you if I get a ransom for it. And my ransom request is Freya. I want to marry her. She's really hot. And if you don't let me marry her, you will literally never find the hammer. I've hidden it so well, you're never going to find it. And at this point, it turns out that he's not just any old hideous ogre. He's actually the lord of all the ogres. And his name is Thrym, I think is how you say it. And Loki's like, oh, God, all right, fine. I'm sure we can sort something out. Bear with me. So he flies back with his feathery wings and he goes back to Thor and he's like, sorry, buddy. The only thing he wants is Freya. So we're going to have to sort something out. And Thor's like, oh, I'm sure she'll be fine. Like She'll help us. So they go to Freya and they say, here's your cloak back. Thanks very much. You're a babe. Uh, one more thing. She's like, what, did you get the hammer back? And they're like, not exactly. We will, though, if you agree to marry the ogre. It's not like he's Shrek and he's a lovable ogre and he's got a fun little pet donkey and lots of friends that are animals that you could have fun with and he's got a Scottish accent which always makes people more attractive. This is like a really horrible ogre and Freya kind of nods, assuming that that's like, well, you're not going to get the hammer back, that's a shame. And Thor's like, oh great, okay, well, get your cloak, We're, you've pulled basically, get your stuff, you're going to go marry him. And rightly so, Freya is outraged. How dare you even consider her as currency? How could you even think that I would get you out of your mess? I've literally done nothing here. I'm not just going to go marry an ogre because you lost your hammer because you were too sleepy to notice that someone was stealing it from you. Like, absolutely not. Sort yourself out, you two, like, troublesome boys. Leave me alone. Never speak of this again. You're so rude. So the two guys leave, rightly so, told off as they were, and they go to all the other gods and they say, look, we need help. We're in over our heads. We don't know what to do. And between them, they all try and make suggestions and nobody comes up with anything that's actually of any use until Heimdall, who's the kind of far-seeing wise guy, um, makes a suggestion and he's like, you're not going to like it. And they're like, yeah, we will, like anything at this point. And then he suggests that Thor should dress up as a bride. And that's who the ogre should marry. Because even though the ogre's heard a lot about Freya's beauty, he's not actually seen her. So so whack some lashes on Thor, beat his face in the uh, RuPaul terminology, and send him off to go get married and get his hammer back. Because he can clearly stand up for himself once he's there, but he just needs to get in there and get the hammer. Instantly, all the other gods agree that that's a brilliant idea, even though Thor is thoroughly against it. He's got no choice. He wants his hammer back. So off they pop to get him all dolled up and make him look like a woman. And all the goddesses and wives and women all bring different things for him to wear to try and make him look as convincing as possible. And Freya even lends him her famous necklace of the Brissings to make it definitely sure that that's Freya. The ogre's going to think absolutely nothing else and once he's all ready him and loki hop into thor's chariot and head off to the land of the giants now because loki can shapeshift the job is much easier for him so he can just shapeshift into a handmaiden and he'll be doing most of the talking because thor still sounds like a massive man but off they pop and they arrive in the giant's kingdom and the big palace and immediately everything is started to get ready for the arrival of the new bride and they get ushered into the hall 
And at this point, a few eyebrows are starting to get raised of why the most beautiful woman in the world basically looks like a hulking great god. But nothing is said until Thrym arrives and is like, is she really the prettiest in the world? Like, what have I done here? This isn't turning out that well. And Loki's like, no, seriously, because she's got a veil on. I mean, Thor's got a veil on. I'm getting confused with my pronouns. Um, Thor has a veil on, so you can't really see her face. But he's like, oh, no, trust me, she's really hot. Like, wait until you see her. But she won't show you her face until the marriage ceremony's done, because that's our custom. And then I'm going to sit between you both at dinner so you don't know hanky-panky, because it's our custom. Basically, because Thor would just freak out and wouldn't know what to do and would just probably kill the ogre. So... Off they pop, they go off and have some dinner, and obviously Thor can't control his appetite. Not that having an appetite is a bad thing when you're a woman, you can eat as much as you would like, but Thor eats, like, six full goats or something ridiculous, like, actual whole animals, he just wolfs them down and just drinks, like, a whole, like, what are they called, keg of mead? Is it a keg? Can you tell I don't really drink? Kegs? How many times can I say keg? before people stop listening i won't do it anymore sorry but he knocks huge amounts of alcohol back huge amounts of food and everyone's kind of a bit stunned like wow freya can eat girl and it gets to the stage where people literally can't eat anything because thor's eating everything and thrym's getting a bit and thrym's starting to doubt what's going on and loki's like oh no she's just so hungry because she hasn't eaten for like eight days or nights because she's been so excited to come here so she's just really really hungry and the ogre's kind of like all right then but once the food is all done and crisis has been narrowly averted of being found out it's time for the wedding so thrym shouts bring me the hammer so i can give it to my bride to sanctify the marriage blah 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 and the second he places Mjolnir on the apparently Freya's lap and Thrym's like what do you say to this Freya Look, this is how much I love you and Thor's like what I say to this is you should not have taken my hammer <laughs> I don't know why he's like a really rubbish Gandalf um and suddenly jumps up takes off his skirt so he's just walking around in a shirt and I mean, hopefully it's a long shirt, like one of those old floaty ones that are actually really attractive on guys. That should be a fashion that should come back. But I mean, with trousers, a guy in just a long shirt with no... Anyway, I'm getting distracted. The point is, he just demolishes everybody. He kills all the giants, especially Thrym. Like he... I don't know how you can kill someone more than once, but if he could, he definitely would. And he wreaks absolute havoc. And because he's just eaten so much, he's got a lot of energy and he's letting all his anger out. And then stands there, happily looking at Loki, like, right, sweet. Um, I'm all good. You ready to go? Want to get anything else while we're here? And thus endeth the story of Freya's unusual wedding. She doesn't get married. Thor almost gets married. I'm enjoying the fact that it's an early form of drag represented in Norse mythology. I think that should be more common. Um, And everything is all well that ends well, apart from the ogres. But they did nick the hammer, and he wasn't Shrek, so I'm all right with that. Now, my final story is about Idun, who is the goddess of immortality, and she owns a box of ash that's filled with magical apples that make you immortal. And as with most stories, it starts with Thor and Loki and a god called 
Honier, maybe. Maybe that's how you say it. Who knows? And they're off on a hunting trip, and they're near the wastelands of the giant realm. They're on the edge of Jotunheim. And they're trying to catch some stuff, and they haven't had any luck. When they lit a fire, and suddenly this big eagle came down and pinched all of the flames from the fire and all the heat. And the eagle's like, I'll give you your fire back if you let me have some of your meat. So they're like, oh, my God, we can't, like, do anything normal. Yeah, fine, that's all right. And as they opened the pit to get some food, the eagle swooped down and pinched the whole cow that they were going to have or something like that. And then Loki stabs his spear into the side of the eagle. But the eagle's actually really powerful, so he flies away and the spear's still attached. And Loki's therefore attached on the end of it. And he ends up taking Loki for a crazy ride. Loki's screaming, please, will you just stop? Blah, blah, blah. And the eagle is like, yeah, fine, I'll let you go if you bring me Idun and her golden apples. Golden? I don't know if they're golden. They're immortal apples. I just decided they're golden. Maybe. Maybe they are. I don't know. Loki agrees because he doesn't mind throwing someone else under the bus to save himself. So he rejoins his buddies and then they eventually go back to Asgard. So when they're in Asgard... He finds Idun and he's like, oh, I'm feeling a bit old. I'm feeling like age is coming upon me. Can I have one of your apples? So basically she has a box filled with these apples and that's what keeps the gods immortal. So as soon as they feel like they're aging and as soon as they're growing a few gray hairs or the beard's getting a bit wispy, they go to her. She gives them an apple and they're back feeling young and exuberant once again. Idun's like, I mean, you don't really look very old, Loki, you look normal. And he's like, oh, I hide it really well. Just like, all right, then here, gives him an apple and he eats it. And he's like, I don't really think this tastes that great. Like, what's wrong with these? They're not the usual apples you usually give me, are they? She's like, what are you talking about? They're immortal apples. Stop being so fussy. Of course, they're great. And he's like, I mean, I just saw this apple tree down in the woods and I'm pretty sure they were immortal apples. Like, how do we know if they are or not? And she's like, well, I've got to go and see them. Take me to them. He's like, well, how will you know the difference? She's like, well, I'll bring my apples with me. And he's like, oh, great idea. So then they go down. They walk for ages. And she's like, Loki, I don't actually think you're taking me anywhere. I think this is all lies. He's like, I'm hurt that you would think such a thing. And then they walk towards a big tree. And of course, there's a giant eagle sat in it. And as they get a bit closer, the eagle swoops down and turns into a giant. So it turns out to be the giant Thyazi. And he's like, ha-ha, I foiled you. I wanted Idun and her apples so the gods would never be immortal anymore and they would die. And I wanted Idun to be a maiden for my daughter Skadi. So he whisks her away and Loki's like, all right, well, no harm done. And toddles off back to Asgard. And undecided amount of time passes but the gods are starting to feel age but it can't be too far away because somebody would have noticed that Idun wasn't there so I don't know how long but anyway they notice that she's gone and they go to Loki and say you were the last one to see her where is she help us and then he's like oh I don't know like why are you asking me and of course they know he's up to something because when is he not so they say we'll literally kill you loki because look at us we're getting old we need those apples we have nothing to lose like we'll talk to you until you tell us and he's like oh my god okay fine fine i'll go and maybe find her if i'm lucky but can i borrow freya's cloak because i need to fly 
And she's like, oh my God, can you just, like, literally, you can shapeshift. Why can't you just become a bird and fly there yourself? But she once again lends him her cloak. And off he flies and finds Idun weeping in, like, a cell or something or in a, a little room somewhere. And he's like, psst, it's me. It's like, obviously, a talking falcon. We know that's probably you, Loki. So she wipes her eyes and he's like, I'll get you out of here. Just stay still, grab your apples and we'll be on our way. And he turns her into a hazelnut, I think. Is it a hazelnut? A type of nut he turns her into. Picks her up in his beak and off he flies and has taken her with him. And Thiazi gets back. I think he's probably been fishing and it's not gone well. So he wants to go and gloat and mock Idun again. So he goes to her and finds out that she's missing and, of course, sees a falcon feather because otherwise the story wouldn't be able to develop any further. Realises Loki's taken her and then whacks on his eagle form and chases after Loki. Now, this is all part of the plan because he sees Loki flying, well, he sees a falcon flying and follows and obviously he's a big eagle so he's very quick. But Loki's a bit quicker because he got a head start and as he gets to Asgard, all of the gods are ready and they set fire to all these wood chippings that they had laid accordingly and it got cast into a massive fire and then eagles all burned and then Fayazi changes shape but is all injured and then Thor kills him with his hammer bish bash bosh as always violence is the only answer so they think right sweet everything's done it done's back we've all had an apple we're all feeling great but that's not the end of the story scaddy or scardy I don't know depends it's like how do you say bath or bath I say bath so maybe I'll say Skadi. I don't know. Neither of those are Norse examples. So we're just going to go with Skadi. Um, she comes with wrath to the gods of Asgard because they've just killed her dad and she liked her dad. So she's like, I'm literally going to kill you all. And the gods are like, please don't. Like, we just want a day where nothing actually eventful happens. So she agrees to two things that will make her not kill everyone. First of all, she wants a husband. Fair enough. And second of all, she wants to be made to laugh because she hasn't laughed since she lost her dad. So she thinks she wants to marry Balder, who's really hot and probably like the Poldark of the gods. And the gods are like, well, you can have any husband you want, basically. But very oddly, you can only pick them by looking at their feet. You can't look at their faces. So all of the male gods stand behind. I mean, I'm assuming the ones that can get married, not all of the ones that already have wives. All of the single Pringles stand behind a, I don't know, a fence? A sheet? I don't know, something that hides everything apart from their feet. And she goes along and she's like, oh, gross. No, that's like a hobbit. I don't know who that is. Gross again. That one needs to cut their nails. Oh my God, this guy has really hot feet. Now, I don't like feet very much, so I can't really imagine this. But anyway, she thinks they look really pretty. And she's like, oh my God, that's definitely Balder. I want to marry this guy. And they reveal the curtain, the curtain, the fence, the sheet, I don't know. And it turns out not to be Balder. He apparently does have nice feet, but not as nice as this guy in her eyes. And she's actually picked Njord. Njord? 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 I don't know. Njord. Um, who's actually Freya and Frey, her brother. So Njord is their dad. Njord is their dad. So I'm assuming age in Norse gods does not affect your feet because if I'm assuming Skadi is a similar age to Freya and Frey, then she's picked a dad age. 
maybe because she just lost her dad, unless Njord is really hot and young looking and, I don't know, apples, who knows. So anyway, they get married, sorted. Number one of the things she wanted, tick. Next thing, make her laugh. That's really difficult when she's just lost her dad. And so they get the resident fool, Loki, to try and make her laugh. And I think the gods are really, they're really quick to laugh at stuff. I can't relate because I'm actually quite fussy with my humour, but apparently they find everything hilarious. So Loki does this horrible trick involving a goat and tying a rope to the goat's beard and tying the other end of the rope to an area of Loki I don't really want to discuss in case younger audience members are listening, but from that, you know where I mean. So he ties it around the meat and veg on him. (laughs) How do you say these kind of things? And as the goat pulls because it's tied around its beard, he's in pain. Everyone's finding it hilarious. I absolutely don't know why. I've never found that kind of stuff funny. But apparently, if you find that funny, you have the same sense of humour as the Norse gods. But Skadi hasn't laughed once. Um, She kind of is slightly smiling or smirking. And she only starts to laugh when the goat pulls so hard, Loki like writhes in pain and ends up flying through the air and landing in her lap. I don't know if he has trousers on at this point. Maybe that's what's so funny. I'm not sure. But she erupts into raucous laughter and finds it really amusing. So... Two things of the bargain done. Everybody's happy. Idun's back. Everyone's got immortality apples again. She's got a husband. And then right at the end, Odin is like, so we still have the eyes of your dad, which is <laughs> really grim. Uh, look here. And he kind of puts them up into the sky, these two glowing orbs, and they become stars. And he's like, your dad will always look down on you now and you can look up at him whenever you want to, which is actually quite sweet. And it's on that sweet sentiment that this podcast endeth and i hope you have learned stuff about some of the norse goddesses i think it's telling that all of the stories about the goddesses start with stories of the gods namely thor and loki seem to be involved in everything but they seem to be the heroes of them all they seem to be the fun ones everyone likes to hear about and it does seem that they're the ones always getting into trouble and the women are the ones that either fix the solution or are just embroiled in it because of them but hopefully the history about Freya will help you understand that some of the women were really cool and Norse mythology is really fun and history's fun and everything's fun when you read books so thank you very much for joining me on this fourth podcast Norse mythology part two I will be back again. If you'd like me to cover any specific topics that you've found interesting that I've maybe mentioned throughout this one or any of my other podcasts, please let me know. The best place to find me is on Instagram at oliveleaf with two Fs and an underscore at the end. And let me know you've been listening and tell me if there's anything you want to hear or anything like that. Just chat. Um, But thank you very much for listening. I will see you... No, you will hear me in the next one. I hope you all have a magical day. 